Hello and welcome to the Men's Corner Podcast. I'm your host, George Stumanov. Welcome. You remember that my friend John did a talk about integration, suppression, and I promised that I'll give you my answer to this talk. Not so much as to dispute or prove some of the things right or wrong, but I want to get deeper into some of the details about that talk. Because I believe if you've listened to that talk, you probably have a few questions. So I'm trying to answer some of that for myself and uh, based on the experience that I have in my own life, mainly, and in some of the men that I worked with. So he starts by saying that the alternative to integration is suppression. And uh, aren't we all suppressed? We grow up and part of us, we're not allowed to express we're not told how to cultivate these parts, how to make them clean and pure, and how to get rid of the things that, that make them bad, if they're bad at all. Uh, but we're just told to suppress and get rid of those parts altogether. The alternative of integration, and may I say that the word integrity comes from integration. People think that to have integrity is to be a good man, not to lie, not to cheat and steal, but actually is to be whole and stay true to each part that makes the whole. So a man who's got his younger parts together, his warrior part, his lover part, his creator part, his king part, all together and staying true to each one of those parts, he's a man of integrity. The alternative to integration is suppression. John goes on to say that we all build this, I would say a box inside of our souls and every part of us or every expression of us that we don't like, we put it there. and. Uh, because there's so much pain, we don't even want to go near this box when we grow up. We truly believe that I can't go there. That's not part of me. I don't want anything to do with that because of the pain. But we don't see under the pain. We don't see that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater because, you know, throwing away parts of yourself because there's pain or shame or our own sin around them doesn't make those parts bad or worthy to be thrown away. It just makes us poorer as a result. There's less of us as we grow up. It's a loss of heart. It's a literal loss of the heart, which is the inner self. So, and then he quotes um, James Baldwin, and he talks about hate. And he says, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly is because they sense once their hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. And I'm challenging you, because James Baldwin maybe talked about um, hate that now most of us would be comfortable addressing like racism or sexism and all these things that we've learned to hate in our grandfathers and fathers and see what I, I use there? I use the word hate. Just as maybe some of those people who we label today as this and that, yeah, they did hate a group of people or they hate something or somebody and now we hate them as a result. I guess we're not that much different. So long as there is hate inside of you, you cannot make progress. What about the freedom fighters? They hated this evil that they fought against. I don't agree. G.K. Chesterton said that um, a true warrior is somebody, he's not somebody who hates what's in front of him, his enemies, but who loves what's behind him. Most of the good people who fought for a good cause, they love the people they defended. They love the freedoms they defended. They didn't so much hate that enemy. They just stood up for what was right. 
So long as there is hate inside of you, could be hate against the previous generation of your father, the racist, sexist, abusive father, it doesn't really matter. So long as there is hate inside of you, you're divided against yourself. How can there be love as a result? The fruit of this work, all I'm talking about now, should be love. If it's something different, then remember this quote by James Baldwin. We'll come back to this. And then I'm going to ask you this because he talks, he goes on to talk about the plasters and the band-aids you put on, the, on that pain. And I want to ask you this, what are the plasters that you've learned to put on yourself when you grow up? You know, for some people, I was one of them. We've numbed ourselves with things like food and sex and pleasures, pornography um, or darker things even. Uh, but these are merely plasters to cover up our pain. However, some of us who are not, I guess, not fortunate enough to be poor in spirit and not to be successful in the world, this might be success, might be your talent. You see, you grow up and you feel in some areas you're just not good, so you make up for that loss by using something else that you know you can do. Some people say, well, I, I'm not clever enough, I can't, my brain is not developed enough, but I'm very athletic, so I'm gonna go on and make a name for myself and he's the hero of the high school football games and all the girls love him and and the rest of us will be like whoa I can't be like this guy I don't have the same body or skills or coordination I'm shy and withdrawn and but I'm good academically so that's what I'm gonna hide behind you see some of the plasters are not as obvious as just addiction or depression or alcoholism is our successes the parts of us that we know can excel we push with all our energy these parts forward so that we can hide something behind them. You hide valuable, hurting parts of yourself behind the parts that you do want people to see. And as a result, you're not whole. And I'm not speaking to anyone that um, whose pain I haven't felt, because that's my story. And that's the story of us all. It's funny how united we can become if each one of us is willing to dig deeper into his own pain. Like, I don't think there's a human being that I can relate to in some, to some degree or in some aspect. What are those plasters? What was your success? Then John goes on to say, talks about the cure for suppression. And the cure for suppression is integration. John said that you need to integrate six areas of life, of your inner life. Your masculinity and your femininity, your shadow and your potential, and your past and your future. Now, let's dive into the first one. He talks about integration, he talks about initiation of men in, uh, in the West today, the lack of it, and in the African communities. And uh, we've heard the stories, I'm not going to go into that, but I'm going to explain about the energies. There's masculine and feminine energy. Men are made to embody the masculine energy, they also have the feminine when they need it. So. Men are the builder of the world, let's say, the, the man would build a house and the feminine, the masculine would build a house, the feminine will, f will furnish it. There's a story by Gordon Darby who talks about the early settlers um, in the States hundreds of years ago. They traveled in a long caravan and um, in the daytime they would travel like in a straight line and crossing mountains and fighting their way through like bush and wild beasts and, and that's the masculine, that's the pursuit, that's the direction but at night they're gonna circle up the wagons and then they start taking care of themselves they dress their wounds they eat 
They sew their clothes. They wash their clothes. They take care of the children. They bring the harmonicas out. They sing. They dance. They take care of their souls and bodies. That's the picture of the feminine. And in a man, there is both. We're born to embody the masculine as a primarily source of, of drive and being. Uh, and that's true physiologically, sexually, in, in any way. But also we have the tender. And I don't like... I don't necessarily like the masculine, the feminine. That's a very new age energy. Oh, well, I would say the strong and the tender. The strong is the picture of the masculine and, and the tender and, and the life-giving. Strong makes the way through life and the tender and the life-giving. So it gives you that vital juice that you need to live. And a human body is an example. The masculine, I'd say, is the skeleton and maybe the muscles and the sinews. And the feminine, or the tender, would be the organs, blood, um, pretty much everything else that gives you life. That is softer, but without it, you'll be gone. So like, okay, you can build a house, you can be masculine, but then if the house has no windows, and no carpets, and no fireplace, and no warmth, how can you live? How long can you live in that house? So that's my view of the masculine and the feminine. And you see the men of the past, the men who won the wars and built this comfortable life for us, the men who we now reject, they had to live out of the masculine, which they did have, to the expense of the tender, to the expense of the caring part. They had to bury that. They had no context in which to take that back or, or even possess that to start with. So now we reject them completely and we focus on the rest. So that it's a circle. And I hope in my work I'll do my little bit to, to help prevent that circle because, you know, hard times create strong men, good times create weak men or something like that. And uh, weak men create hard times so that strong men can rise up. But then why should we go around in circles? Why shouldn't we de develop? That's my work. How about having the strong and the tender at the same time? We grew up watching those men on the screen, the superheroes, most of them, the main characters in those films that boys so love to watch. They're strong, but they're tender. They've got the lover side. So I think we can have it, but we need to do the work that we're talking about now. So that's what I want to talk about in terms of the energy, the masculine and the feminine. I would say the strong and the tender. To integrate that, how I did that? Well, first I had to find my masculine. <laughs> first I had to find my, um, my strong side. I had to come out of hiding and in my work I still do this with men and I, it's, for me it's a journey as well ongoing journey so for men initiation comes through mentorship with older men and through doing things you're afraid of doing but first is the tender work to bring in that child back to life so that he can be trained it's not so much as go make yourself do something hard be Ernest Hemingway the macho guy who made himself do hard things and his followers it's like whoa yeah what's the result yeah we, we know what's the result the macho thing and you know and when you laugh at those people you label weaker than you, you're laughing, actually. You feel contempt to parts of yourself, which you're not allowing to come to the surface. So when you see somebody who represents those parts or reminds you of them, you feel contempt. You can't help it but feel contempt because, well, because you hate yourself. Love others as you love yourself. To, to the degree that you've embraced that weak, weeping, wounded little boy in yourself, to that degree you'll be able to have compassion for others. But then... Most people today, even in men's group, uh, they just stop there. The compassion and the openness and the vulnerability. 
Well, let me tell you, when the Nazis were threatening to come to England to occupy Britain, being vulnerable would have served you very little purpose. You don't want to be vulnerable to the battles that you need to face. You're vulnerable so that you can be stronger. You see, that's what I want my work to be about. I help men become vulnerable so that we can rebuild those men, so that we can help in the work of rebuilding those men to become strong and have all the parts together to, to become men of integrity. Not just being vulnerable for the sake of being a good guy. I don't care about being a good guy. Be yourself, become yourself. You see then what goodness will be unleashed. And people might not necessarily like you. <laughs> so, so where was I? Masculinity and femininity. To integrate them. Once I've started to embrace my masculinity and, and find my assertiveness, my voice, and that, that came through a lot of shadow work. That didn't just come easy. And it, it took me about, I don't know, uh, eight years. Serious eight years in the wilderness of my soul. And for me, my journey is, uh, yeah, I've come from a really, I've been crushed in pretty much every way. <laughs> uh, not just in one way, abuse, or it's it just been gradual loss of heart over my, my life until my mid-twenties. So I had to take Jenny out of pretty much every place that's been wounded, which is most of the places in my heart. I didn't just have one side developed. I, I, couldn't, I didn't have much to hide behind, apart from my body maybe, but even that was giving way. So um, once I found the masculine and I knew I could be a man, then something was missing. The lack of compassion just showed me, like the lack of patience with my kids. The lack of patience, I was like, ooh, why, why am I not patient with my little girl? Well, I didn't have much time for the child inside of me, you see. I wanted to get this work over with and go on help other men. See how deceitful is the desire for success. You build it too quickly and it will crush you. It will crush your family. There's so many successful people today whose families just don't want to see them. And I could have been one of them. Thank God that God didn't allow me to actually do that. I could have done it. I could have just done the minimum with my girl and then just traveled and helped, helped people. I would have created people who are just like me. So um, finding the gentle, moving towards the lover part of yourself, moving towards the inner child. I read a book called Homecoming about your inner child and you know embracing. There's so many broken bits of myself and one bit might be bitter, one bit might be angry, one bit might just want to cry or want to express something and uh, I embrace them all, each one of them and I will continue to. I bought myself a violin, I did some things in front of a mirror, I recorded myself just expression of things that I could never express and I became a lot more tender as a result. But you have to have the masculine, you have to have the strong, otherwise you'll not feel protected, you'll not feel protected enough to be tender. Some people, like I became a nice guy back in my day because uh, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't be strong. I couldn't be assertive. So I became nice, but I had no choice. That was not real niceness. I was still bitter with those people who pushed me around and with myself, but I had no choice. Now, however, I do have a choice. So I've got a strong part. I can bring the child to play. And it's the amalgam of these things beginning to look like something really beautiful. So uh, you need to have both. You need to have both. The tender and the strong, or if you like, the masculine and the feminine. Then he goes on to say, you need to integrate your shadow and your potential. It's a tricky one because you see, many people think that strength is bad and assertiveness and 
being able to stand up for yourself or to stand up against anything is, is sort of somehow bad. Be, aggressiveness is bad. Aggressiveness is wonderful. Aggressiveness is, is, a, is a part of masculinity which you have inside of you. But because you, let's say, like me, had an aggressive father, you shut that down. And that goes in the shadow. So you look at people whose fathers were really big and strong and domineering and, and bullies, really. Very often, even physically, those people will be weaker and, uh, and lacking energy. And I was one of those people. Because in my early days, I moved against my father. I moved out of his scary presence. And I became a weaker guy. Now, I became the total opposite. And I can see the difference between generations. You could see the World War II veterans were strong and tough and did the right thing. And they, they were, yeah, they had many things dark about them. But because of those things, their sons rejected them. And then you have the hippie movement, which is just the opposite. The warrior movement and the hippie movement. Peace and love. And we see... We see the darkness of both of these things, both of these extremes, weakness and peace and love and drugs and just give yourself to the, just float in life and never take a stand and be a man. And the opposite is just take a stand and be a man, but it's just dry. It's just dry, black and white life. That's why their sons rejected them. That's why I rejected my dad. Gray, cold and harsh life. The guy spent six years in Siberia. When he came back, my mom said, if he dozed off watching television, I was afraid to touch him to wake him up because he would just pounce on me. Like, that's how tense he was when he came. Survivor. I mean, yeah. Lack of tenderness and I couldn't get close to him and he didn't show any desire that, um, to have me close to him. That was a man. And I had a major up or I didn't. Because I didn't, I moved away. My father would wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, go to work, no alarm. He could have drunk the night before, he doesn't care. Wakes up and goes, no breakfast, nothing. Tough guy, tough guy. Me, I sleep until noon. I never worked anything. I never had a job until, until I was about 21. And then I became a bouncer. Then I was like five, six years into building my body to, to sort of cover up enough for my fears and appear confident enough to go and work in a nightclub. And I, I just drank and took drugs <laughs> at that nightclub. It wasn't like a job job. So I became the opposite of my father. My father was good with maths, he was good at football, I was good with just languages and uh, literature, and I'm not dissing any of these things, I'm just saying I couldn't move towards more of myself because of what I've rejected from my father. You see, we're missing out. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong, we're missing out. This, what I'm talking about, went into the shadow. What my father has given me in terms of strength, because he has. If your father was a bully, it means that he had some sort of aggression to him. To be a bully. You can't be a bully if you're passive and nice and weak. So if you're a bully, then there must be something good behind that aggression. I want that. If my father, even if, let me tell you this. If my father was Adolf Hitler himself, I would be searching my soul for what was good about this guy, even though he became a monster. Leadership ability, strength, courage, whatever. There's something good. No matter how broken we become, that was not the original plan. That was not the original design. We moved out of that, but there's still the seed of goodness inside of us, in the child. So, if your father was a bully and you just become a nice man and you can't have any aggression, any authoritative presence, any assertiveness, then parts of you are in the shadow. Parts of that good aggression, because of what you've seen in terms of bad aggression, you've suppressed those parts. And you think you hate your father, you hate yourself. 
there's something in the Bible, just it's just crazy, like honor your mother and father so that you live long and what? Why? How how come that's conditional? What is that to do with me? My father could have been a rapist. Why should I honor him? Well, because there's part of you that is from your father. And if you don't honor that, if you reject complete the whole father, now part of you can't come alive. And then how can I have a fulfilled life, even physically? How can you tap into your whole potential for the body to heal itself, for the metabolism to run at, at its optimum, for, for the energy, for the juices to flow? If parts of you, spiritually speaking, are, and in terms of energy, are shut down, then it's not going to go well with you. And I've seen that all the time. I've seen it myself. I don't need to point example. That's I'm talking from my own experience. So, shadow work. You need to integrate those parts of you that are scary. If you suppress that dark part of you, which feels dark, if you suppress that, then you wouldn't have access to the strength that is behind that dark power. So embrace the darkness, not for the sake of just having darkness, but for the sake of being able to use what's behind the darkness, the energy behind the darkness. You see, I don't trust good men who can't be bad. You don't have a sword, you don't have a weapon. How can I see that you're a good man? Because you might just be weak, you might just be disarmed. <laughs> Jordan Peterson was, I think, he was saying, if you're an axe murderer, but you don't have an axe, does that make you a good person? <laughs> so if you, if you don't feel you have this ability to, to assert yourself and destroy and be authoritative and, and to actually do harm to people, if you don't have that ability, then how do we know that you're really a good man? You might just not have the weapons. That's why very often some people like this, they take power and they become monsters. <laughs> they surprise even themselves, I can tell you that. But have that ability, hone that sword, cultivate it. Have the guts to stand up to the world and, and, and to your own family members even and say, no, just roar. Let the lion inside you roar. Let it come out of the shadow and roar. And then, then let me see what a good man you are. Because then you have the chance to be. Then I have the chance to, to wipe the sword clean from all the dirt, all the blood that's been in, and put it back in the sheet and take it out only to protect and defend. That's a good man. Not somebody who can't be strong, but somebody who's got all the weapons and all the tools to actually destroy and yet use them only for good. There's a story about John Eldridge and his two boys and they were fighting and the, the older boy was beating the, the young one and then he pulled it apart and he said to the older boy, You've got this strength. God has given you strength. Not to hurt your brother, but to protect him. He didn't shame him. He didn't say, don't fight. He said, no, never hurt your brother. You fight only to protect him. No, that's a different interpretation, isn't it? I wish my dad had um, brought this out in me. So integrate your shadow in your potential. Because in the shadow is a huge part of your potential. See, what my father gave me was a part of me was stuck in that box in a container of darkness and hatred and fear and control and I didn't like that I pushed it down and the rest were creativity and I could write and I, I was very good communicator I could I, people, I was a people person people loved me but I was a people pleaser as well so without that without me opening that dark box and the scary things came out I felt myself becoming really scary and I had to work through that and it's wonderful so if I hadn't opened that 
A lot of what you see today, my ability to make eye contact, my ability to push through obstacles, my ability to, to be strong and to feel good about myself and not to hide from people, not to feel creepy and, and hidden and, and um, well, I would not be myself now. I'm not saying I'm there yet, but it's a wonderful journey. And it just, it's good to feel strong because then you can let your guard down. Then you can joke with people who joke about you. I work with some of that really troubled teenagers <laughs> and I used to feel threatened because I know what they're thinking. Oh, why is he looking at me like this? Am I stronger than him? Uh, and now I know what they think and I put them at ease. I like these people. I don't, um, I don't feel threatened by them. Where in the past, I'm like, ooh, I hope he doesn't think he can push me around. Uh, if, when I was a nice guy, I was fearing people. Now I'm not a nice guy. I don't fear people. How wonderful that is. Shadow and potential. Reach into the shadow and bring parts of you back. It will feel horrible. I guarantee you that. That's fine. We're called to suffer in this life. We're not called to just coast and drift. We're called to suffer. We need to take that the road less traveled. Okay, let's move on. Then, John said, you need to integrate your past and your future. That's exciting because when you bring part of yourself back, there's resurrection. Uh, I believe in the cross and in, in the resurrection and when you take parts of yourself that are in control, that know how to make life happen, older parts of yourself, adults, stronger, you know, good with business, whatever. When you take them to the cross and crucify them and say, no, no, I, I renounce my ways. I want my heart back. I want God back. I want my child, the child that I was once to come to resurrection. Uh, so when you crucify yourself, the, the part, the conscious part of yourself, you bring life to the unconscious part of yourself, which you bear it, which is the child, which is your true heart. So, your past and your present merge. I used to be full of sadness and longing and looking at, remembering things about my childhood in Bulgaria and the animals and the, and the forest and the sounds and the smells. And people used to think that I was, I was a melancholic. I was just dreaming about uh, bringing back the past. What was it? I was longing for the child inside of me to come to life. And uh, over the course of these 10 years, I've seen amazing things happen. And I felt, sometimes I wake up here in Eastbourne, in the UK, and I look at the sky, and it's the same sky that I remember from 20, 30 years ago, when I was one or two years old, or five years ago, uh, five years old. It's the same sky. Like, it's not longing to, become, to, go, to be back in Bulgaria and be five years old. <laughs> God forbid, no. But it's the same, like... It's, it's integration and out of those parts I can create and I can be playful and, and it's wonderful. And I didn't lose the other parts, I can still be strong and tough if I need to. But there's no longer past for me. I, I don't have any, anything I desire to bring back because I have brought it back. That child in all its expressions, part of me was stuck in this age or that age, um, it's back now or at least in most of its expression, it's back, he's back now. So. What people long to bring back, it's not so much the times they live in, the good old days. It's how they felt in those times. Because in those times, they were longing for more. They themselves were more alive. Oh, I wish I was younger and more beautiful. It wasn't about this. It wasn't about the pleasure you can get or the attention you can get. It was about what that gave you. That the feeling of life is good. I'm made for this life. I'm immortal. I'm good. And that's a good feeling. That's a, humans are inbuilt with that because we're made for the world that never dies. I believe in the future. Integrating your past and your future. 
I'm gonna put another video, just I hope I remember to put them all down. Um, recently when I found this old nightclub that we had in the village, the first nightclub we ever had, there's one picture of a, of a naked woman, of a topless woman that my uncle painted. The rest of it was just gone. I was very little, I don't remember much of that nice nightclub. I remember a little bit, but uh, it was gone, it was just ruined. And I love to be there to see that picture, you see? When you're alive, when, you, when you've been crucified and then for those parts of you to be resurrected, which are true parts of you, which is where God lives, you know, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the little children. How? Why? Well, that's why. Because the adults, no, we don't want the child, right? Suppress them, put them down. Children should be seen and not heard. We don't do it just for children. We do it with ourselves. Parts of us are gone. We don't want to be young. Move on, grow up. And um, I'm not saying there's no place for maturity. That's different. To grow up with all parts of yourself is what we're after here. But to grow up at the expense of that, it's a crime. So I had to revisit the crime scene over and over again. And um, when these parts of you are awake, and when you start creating again and be alive again and exploring the old longings again, then everything that you see, I didn't see the destruction. I, it doesn't matter. It's not like I'm going to go back there, even if that thing did exist. Even if those people uh, did come back to life. They really, it wasn't really that good. But parts of you are back, and you see parts of that past that is back, and you reclaim it, and you say, wow! I remember feeling alive here. I remember, I remember feeling the mystery here. That's what we're after. We're after the who we were then, not so much of what was around us. So I'm gonna find this video and put it down below. An article and a video. Um, just because it was a joy to discover the old picture. Everything was destroyed and that woman was still standing. My uncle is dead. My uncle was a painter and alcoholic. He died. He basically drank himself to death. He was a very unhappy man. But his creation, that woman still stands. And that's a good reminder. That's a picture for me of life. Yeah, life. She's still waiting for the party. She's still waiting for that eternity, which she was... She came out of eternity. She came out of my uncle's heart, which was created by him. And uh, all creation comes out of eternity, and we have eternal hearts. So the past and the future. You can only bridge the past and the future by suffering. Tell you one other quick story. One time I was with uh, my good friend Rob, pursuing part of my masculine initiation. Now, Rob, and I'm gonna, uh, one day I'm gonna do a talk with him. Uh, he's a man who, who has many things that I don't have. Like, he's exactly the man who could initiate me, and he did at the time when I bought my first property, and I said, can you help me paint it? But I wanna paint with you, teach me, teach me. Um, he came, he helped me, and he was teaching me how to paint. So that was part of, wow, I could actually do this. Hard work, we worked for three days. Anyway, um, so he's a very manly man in many ways. He's been in the army, he's a, very creative as well. But that's a different story. The story is, um, we listened to music and we painted in one room. And I felt the urge to go in the other room and paint by myself. But then I couldn't take the music with me. Uh, until that time, I couldn't be alone with silence. I couldn't. But I felt this time... Let's see what that feels like. And the first thing that hit me when I was alone without music, without my friend next to me in that room, was sadness. So for me, you know some people, when you touch them in a raw place, the first thing that comes up is they're always angry. For me, the first layer is sadness. And anger is underneath. Most people is the other way around. They cover, not most, no, no, I'm, I take that back. Some people, some men. It's like the anger, irritation is first, and then it's because they're sad. And for me, it's, anyway. I feel this longing and this sadness and it's like life is not good. I'm, I'm not the person who I want to be. 
It's almost like I wanted to go back and be a child again. That's all. That's always been. That's why I escaped. That's why I pursued romantic relationships so much. That's why I took cocaine. It's not about the drugs or the drink. It's about who I became then. I was. I connected. The veil of brokenness that for a moment was lifted. I could be my childlike self then. If I had money back in the day, I would have probably become maybe maybe a writer or something like this, something very creative, but very unhappy. Uh, probably with a broken heart. Well, actually, the broken heart is why we're unhappy, but that's a different. Uh, just pursuing one woman, one woman after another, pursuing creativity, but never really facing anything hard in life. So for me, the sadness. But let me tell you, fast forward maybe five years, gone. That's gone. That is gone. I look at the sky and I remember the sky, but it's the same sky. It's I'm here. My past is here with me. My roots in Bulgaria, they're here with me. They're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Integrate your past and your future. But you must suffer. You must be willing to suffer. And I say this with the most compassion that I can master. Suffer and you see the fruits that I'm seeing now. That's amazing. Okay. Now, he talks about hiding. Also, he talks about hiding. How Adam in the Garden of Eden... And I'm going to ask you this. I'm going to just state this as a fact. Every man hides in a way. And the question is how? I talk about the, the, the plaster behind the wounds. And we hide behind parts of ourselves to the expense of other parts. And you see how that plays out in the world. Let's say you're talented in business and you, you rise up in this corporation. But you never address pain in your heart and other areas in your heart. And you grow up. In that business, you become the most successful, a bit ruthless maybe, like president of a company, whatnot. And um, and then these parts of you that are broken, there's a little child inside of you that reaches for for to be heard and to be understood, and you numb him with pain, uh, with with food or or addiction, with sex, with television. Eventually, you find yourself powerful, and you can misuse power to numb your pain. We've seen that. We don't need to repeat that in your life. We've seen that. You rise up because you're hiding behind just one part of yourself without addressing the rest that you see as weak and, or, or not good enough or just, I'm not very creative, I'm not very talented, I'm not, yeah, I've got pain, but I've, I've moved on now. No, 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 you haven't. And then eventually, bam, that young child will sabotage you, not because he's mean, but because eventually you find yourself not being able to resist the pain anymore and suddenly you have all these resources at your disposal and you go and cheat on your wife or whatever or take those money and just go out on vacation abuse of power so every man hides the question is how ask yourself how am i hiding what am i hiding behind do you spend long hours at work avoiding your family i can relate it's easier to hide behind something you're good at but i'm gonna encourage you to Walk into the areas that you're not good at and you need help to go into. Because that's the real deal. That's suffering and suffering makes you holy and whole if you go out on the other side. Let's talk about romance because that's the next thing that he talked. Well, I, I did touch on romance, but I'd like to give a quote by Robert Bly who wrote a book called Iron John, a book about men. And um, Robert Bly said this, What does it mean when a man falls in love with a radiant face across the room? It may mean that he has some soul work to do. 
His soul is the issue. Instead of pursuing the woman and trying to get her alone, he needs to go alone himself, perhaps to a mountain cabin for three months, write poetry, canoe down a river, and dream. That would save some women a lot of trouble. See, like John Richard said in his talk, the worst thing you could do is to go and take your question, take your pain to a woman, to somebody else to answer the question for you. And we see it all the time. We see marriages, they work. They're not really working. They don't have the heart to heart, but they have the brokenness to brokenness, the false to false connection. Oh, well, I don't, I'm not good at this. She's good at this. She's more, you know, busy and powerful and controlling and I'm more creative. So we work great. And it's like, really? Try becoming yourself. Do five years or just one year of this work. See, you might start clashing then. And that's where truth will be revealed. And that's wonderful. But if you pursue somebody when you're still broken, when you're still not initiated into pursuing that, that truth inside of you and the, your, your potential, your shadow and, and God, and then what self are you presenting to that woman? What is she coming to a relationship with? Who are you really? How many parts of you are just gone down in the basement, down in the shadow? They will eventually manifest. So it's better for you to meet them alone first. That's why the hero must slay the monsters. To free the princess. We don't have heroes now. We have people who, instead of slaying the monsters, keep the monsters in the basement and think that they just go away in time. And the monsters grow and grow and eventually they break out of the basement and they eat. Both the man and the woman. And the children. That's what happens. That's what started happening with me before I started addressing this work. That's why I can talk to you now. Killing your parents. John said that you should kill your parents. Sentence them to death. Now, if when you look back into your life, you don't find anything to really judge and blame and accuse your mother and father for, you're not really found the truth. Because that's saying that you're not broken, they're not broken, the world is perfect. Everyone is they're meant to be and their full potential or they've done their best. Well, their best was not enough. You have a father wound, you have a mother wound. And uh, maybe in the past, many fathers were harsh and abusive. Today, a lot of that wound comes to acts, not so much acts of commission, but acts of omission. What they didn't give you. Oh, my father was very caring. Yeah. Did he show you how to be strong? Did he show you how to punch a bully in the mouth? And then forgive him or did he show you just how to forgive him because let me tell you as a man you can't forgive without bitterness deep down unless you know that you can retaliate unless you know that you can be strong if you don't have a sword to choose not to use to lay down then how do you forgive you're just ignoring large parts of yourself so and if your father was was violent then that's yeah that speaks for yourself the damage in the soul is more clear, perhaps. You have to kill your parents, and I've done that for years. You have to express your hatred towards your dad. You have to fight your dad. You have to sentence him to death. Some points, you, you might need, And I'm not saying literally. Don't go look for, looking for your poor, poor old father and try to... My father, um, he's going to be 70 next year. He's still doing well. But I'm, I've not spoken to him about these things, you see. 
I've killed him many times. I've killed the shadow evil part of him many times. I don't need to talk to him about it. He doesn't have the context. He doesn't have the tools that I have. So why should I go and... Now, sometimes it might be appropriate after you've done the work, after a few released. I still haven't done that. But the way our relationship is redeemed now and the way I'm moving towards the good parts of him and drawing them out, it's incredible. It used to be when I was in the midst of that work, I would go home and just feeling, why is he still ignoring me? Why is he still thinking I'm not good enough? Blah, 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 blah. Now I'm sitting there and I say, Dad, tell me about those stories. Tell me what was it like back in Siberia. Tell me what was it like back when you were growing up. Like, he's got so much gold, but before, because I was so wounded by him, I couldn't access that gold. I had shunned him completely in myself, and yet on the outside, I was appearing to be a good son. I couldn't permit myself to say anything bad about him. Now, I can see the good and the bad, and I'm moving towards the good, because I've dealt with the bad, and I'm dealing with the bad. So he doesn't need to know. Sometimes he might do, if he's open or he wants to know, but right now, I'm too busy focusing on my own soul and being pure and cleansed inside of me, being whole. The rest may follow or may not. You need to kill your father. His huge presence in your life must go. But you only do that so that you can resurrect him. People are born with a true self, the potential, but then that gets buried in the shadow. And what you see in most people are just very little of the true self. So what you need to do a lot of shadow work to get to the true self inside of you, but also with your father and mother and the way you do their shadow work for you, not for them, not from where they stand, but from where you are, is to kill them, to destroy them, to destroy the shadows of the shadow side of your father that's hurt you so much so that you can get to the goal, to the true self in your father that is inside of you, the DNA, your father's, some of his gifts and talents and traits, they're inside of you. The masculine purpose, yeah, the strength, the courage is there. But because of, if all you've seen is destruction, which many, in many ways was me, uh, is what I saw, then I rejected my father's heritage completely, even though on the outside, it didn't look that way. So you do that, you kill the man in order to forgive him later, in order for him to come alive in you. Doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. You might even know, don't know your father. You might even not uh, want anything to do with him. That's worth, it's worth going this way inside of you. For your sake, not for his sake. He might even be dead. And you might say, well, I've become just the total opposite of my father. I've got nothing to do with my father. Why should I do the father wound work? Why? Exactly why? Exactly why? That's why. You've just answered the question. If you totally like become the total opposite of your dad, stuck at that extreme in the subconscious, pushing against your father, then your life still revolves around your father. As much as the guy who idolizes his father and, and thinks, oh, my father is great, but still isn't brave enough to enter the deep waters and do the shadow work to find his true father. And therefore, later, to maybe, if you're open to these things, to have God as your father. Because every human being is flawed. And you're not made from human being. You come through them. Anyway, that's my thing. <laughs> Before we move on, we talk about forgiveness a little bit. And I've, I've going to find a video. I've had an old video of forgiveness. I'm going to stick it down below, along with so many other things um, that I wanted you to look at. And um, when I was listening to the talk, I made some notes. And so this note, after killing your parents, I wrote this. You can't forgive until you've become fully alive until you've regained the energy that has been stolen from you and suppressed deep inside of you. 
That's true forgiveness. You need to have your strength back. Some of the fruits, as John said, of the shadow work is the lightness in your heart. I mean, you've, if you've embraced the worst about your parents in you, how they've damaged you, and then move on to embrace the worst about yourself in you, the shadow work, um, then no matter what people call you or in good and bad intention, you just be laughing about it all. <laughs> uh, you, you gain the ability to joke about yourself, to not take life seriously. It's like in the talk, John was saying, you know, yeah, it's, uh, it might not be true how that person accused you, but it's not as bad as the truth, you know. <laughs> there are things about us that there's a monster inside of me that unless I embrace, I'm not going to be myself. I'm not going to be relaxed. So it's not men who are safe that, that are the best men to be around. It's men who know how to harness their power and their dangerous energies inside of them because we're all dangerous. We're all dangerous, whether we like it or not. But when we suppress the dangerous side, when we ignore it and think, no, I'm not like my dad, then eventually it will come up, even if it doesn't come up against other people, to come up in a passive way and also it will come up against yourself. It will, the energy that you expend by suppressing it, the subconscious energy, that work that you do, it just won't be available to you. You know, that's, I can go into this a lot, but you know, talk about depression and how much I suffered with depression. And I, was, I was used to wake up tired. Well, now I don't. That's the, just a quick summary of how important it is to be clear and to flow in with all your parts together in one direction, dangerous and good and dark. So um, before we move on, yeah, well, we talk about power. There is, I want to talk about success a little bit. John said, don't pursue success, pursue value. And I can tell you that once you spend some time pursuing value, success will come, definitely will come. No matter where life puts you, you could be put in prison, you'll be successful, but not in maybe in the same way that you wish to be successful early in life. You'll be fruitful. That's different. That's the true success. And sometimes, especially in the Western society where, uh, you know, we're richer at the moment, very often money is the byproduct of true success. Not always, but yeah, if you live in a place like that, when, when there's justice and people are rewarded and when the, the countries are doing well, very often, more often than not, you'll be uh, financially successful as well as as a byproduct. But if you pursue that, big problem. Or if you pursue just one, that talent that you've got without developing the rest of yourself, without integration, big problem. That's, where, that's what happens with men who are entrusted with power and they they come and they fail. So to move on, I've made a note saying value takes a long time. Becoming truly powerful is a result of a process. Otherwise, one or two good parts of us would be developed and the rest will eventually sabotage the whole thing. And then there's a quote that I'd like you to hear about from Dallas Willard. And uh, he's a theologian. He was. And he said, the primary work of God is finding men to whom he can entrust his power. And the story of most men is being entrusted with power and it bringing harm to themselves and those under their care. That's what happens. And then we think men shouldn't be powerful. No. Men should go to the process of initiation, spend time in the wilderness in their own souls. And that's what development of masculinity is all about. Go do the work. Go do the work. It's well worth it. And if you do the work, you might well be one of you might well find yourself to be one of the people who can be truly spiritual and he, who can be truly fruitful. And uh, there's another quote that, for me. I just wrote: 
Being truly spiritual is thinking and developing your own destiny. Then true power will become available to you and the pressure you've released others from will draw them to you and then you will carry many people to the water. The pool of Bethesda. When the guy said, I've got nobody to carry me to the water. You develop your soul, you allow God to work in you before you want him to work through you and it will happen. Put your heart first, put God first. Okay.